Welcome to the Mobile Home Park Mastery Podcast, where you will learn how to identify, evaluate, negotiate, perform due diligence on, finance, turn around and operate mobile home parks. And now, here is your host, the fifth largest mobile home park owner in the United States, Frank Rolf. One of the big challenges to affordable housing is collections. It makes complete sense. Obviously, collecting money is tough when people don't have a lot of money laying around. This is Frank Roth for the Mobile Home Park Mastery Series. I want to go over the legal side of park ownership in our five-part series. This is the third part of that five-part series. We're going to be talking about evictions. But what is an eviction? An eviction basically is a court-ordered sanction in which the resident is forcibly removed from the property by the landlord using a legal process known as an eviction. Here's how an eviction works. Basically, you have rent that is due on a certain date, typically the first of the month, typically late after the fifth of the month. So you have a grace period of the first of the fifth. And thereafter, if you don't have the rent, you send what's called a demand letter. Now, the demand letter varies by state, even sometimes by the courtroom of the city that you're in. Typically, there's required one demand letter, but in some states, there's required two demand letters. The demand letter says, you didn't pay your rent, and this puts you on notice. If you don't pay your rent, I'm going to file an eviction. So it's a basically an interim step before the legal process begins just to make sure the resident is fully aware they did not pay the rent and letting them know that they need to do it or an eviction will be started. A lot of people, when they get the demand letter, they go forward and then pay their rent, but then there are those who do not. So if the demand letter time elapses, it ranges again by state. It could be three-day, 10-day, in some states two of them, maybe a 10-day and a three-day. When that time ends, you then have the ability to file an eviction. Now, what is an eviction? An eviction basically is just typically an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper in which you fill in the blanks, the name of the resident, the lot number they're in, how much they owe you, how much it is per day. And you sign that and send it in with a check. And that starts the process. So what happens then is the court that you send the evictions process in on they go ahead and go out and serve the resident with notice that they are being evicted. And that one step alone will often make the phone ring and the money come in the door because the resident really does not want to be evicted. However, if they don't get the money in then, you show up in court, you show the paper trail, typically the lease, copy of the demand letter, copy of the filing, you warrant that no money has come in. And then the resident gets to say their piece. However, what most people do not realize in most courts There's nothing they can actually say that will stop the proceedings other than, hey, I paid and here's a receipt. If they say I didn't pay you because it rained and there was water standing in my yard, that doesn't work in the evictions process in most states. That They could file a separate action if they'd like for that, but it won't stop the eviction. The only way you can typically stop an eviction in most states is to prove the money was paid. Following the eviction, which the landlord typically always wins unless you're in tenant-friendly states like California where it can drag on for months and months, then what happens is the resident – either needs to pay you or they need to move out. If they don't do either, then what you do is you file for what's called the writ of possession or in some states, a writ of execution. Now the constable will go out again and post on their door a notice saying that that within 24 hours, they will be thrown out on the street. And literally, that's what will happen. The constable will go, they will open up the door, they will take and box and throw the resident stuff out on the curb They will escort the resident off the property and advise them they cannot come back on. It's a pretty gruesome proceeding, really, and it's a terrible thing to have happen. And most park owners never want that to happen. 
So let, now that you know how evictions work, let's also talk about some of the corollaries of how you can not evict somebody. Because really, as a successful park owner, it's more important you know how not to evict than how to evict. So how do you not evict? First thing is always affirm with people what a great value your property is and make it as good as it can be. Maybe give out a newsletter, try and build a sense of community, make it where people don't want to leave. They want to pay their rent. So that's that's the first rule is to not make an eviction. The second thing would be if someone hasn't paid the rent, try and see if there's any way to urge them to do it in a friendly fashion. We've had properties in which the manager was an integral part of this. They went over and would constantly knock on the door and ask the resident, hey, is there anything I can do to get this rent paid? I really don't want to lose you as a resident. And sometimes that general nudging does all does the trick. That keeps you so top of mind that they actually then go out and find a way, whether they borrow the money or get a second job or do something to get the rent paid, and that's fantastic. Now, if you fail there, basically, if someone doesn't pay and now you're going to court on the eviction, don't get it so stern in your attitude that you want to now punish them and evict them because many residents come up with the money during the evictions process, but you're not required to take it. And if you take it, you're not always required to let them remain. I think that's a bad idea. I think we all know from the beginning that we're in the affordable housing business. If someone pays you and is struggling to pay you, they possibly have a problem that you yourself would have in the same position. Maybe the car broke down, there's some other expense, maybe a medical cost. So don't be so judgmental. If they pay you during the process, call off the eviction and let them remain. So oftentimes I see park owners who get all bent out of shape. How dare the person not pay? I'll show you, I'll throw you out of your home. And that's not good for anybody. That's not smart for you as a park owner, nor is it good for them as a resident. So don't be judgmental. If someone can get the money in prior to the moment that you were going to get the rid of possession, by all means, take it and, and then move forward. In other cases, you're better off not following the eviction and simply going to the resident and doing what's called cash for keys. You say to them, hey, I know that things aren't working out for you. I'm very sorry for that. So here's what I propose. I will give you X dollars if you can be out of that home by, let's say, Monday. The benefit of this is if you can do that at a price less than the cost of going to court, you're money ahead because there's no time delay. That person will be out much faster than if you have to go in and get the eviction and later the writ of possession. So cash for keys is, again, a very good way to get the customer to pay because as a park owner, about the worst thing that can happen to you is to actually evict a tenant. When you evict a tenant, not only are you out the money of the eviction, but on top of that, now you've got a vacant home that you have to go in and renovate. And then after you renovate the home, you're going to have obviously not only the cost of renovation, but the downtime where you didn't collect any rent. So really, it's better off if you can just to get them out quickly. And often it'll be at a much lower cost. If it costs you in a certain market, the eviction cost and, and bringing an attorney to court, let's say $700. And let's say that takes three weeks to do. Would you not be better off giving them, say, $300 to leave immediately? I know some park owners tell me, oh, gosh, no, that doesn't seem morally right to me. Well, why is that morally of any importance at all? People have tough times. This is the affordable housing business. Things happen. Before you get too aloof and think, oh, gosh, that would never happen to me, I would always pay my bills on time. I would think you're not actually thinking clearly because when you don't have a lot of money, the slightest thing can cause all kinds of problems. You're probably aware that 70% of all Americans do not even have $1,000 in savings. So really, as a nation, we're all flying about 500 miles an hour, about two feet off the ground, and the slightest shift in wind is going to make a little plane hit, hit and crash. So again, don't get in a moral outrage ever when trying to collect money. It just goes with the business. It's affordable housing, and that's the kind of thing that occurs. Now, there's two types of evictions you should know. There's 
a money judgment eviction. That's where you get a judgment against the resident for the unpaid rent and an eviction for possession, which you're not striving to get a money judgment, simply get the resident out. In some states and courts, it's a lot easier to get a possession judgment and not a money judgment. And if that's the case, you probably don't need to get the money judgment because you're probably never going to collect a penny on it anyway. So learn the court and see what how it works. And if the judge is much happier to give you a judgment for possession, then I would probably go that angle. Another trick people don't know is if you don't know the name of the resident, let's say you bought the property and you never got the full name, or let's say they put somebody else in the home and, and left at some point, you can always file an eviction and or all occupants. It's allowable in most states. What that is, that's a blanket eviction for whoever's in the home. So if the last known person's name is John Smith, you would file the eviction as John Smith and or all occupants, and that would get the job done. The other thing you should know is it's possible that, that the resident could file after the eviction and then appeal. However, it rarely happens because to file the appeal, they have to post a bond as much of the money they owe you in rent. And if they had that money, they obviously would pay you the money in rent. So we ne really never see an appeal. There's another thing out there called the Popper's Affidavit. Now, a Popper's Affidavit is really not that effective in most states. It is in California. Basically, what happens is the resident says if they are displaced, they will become uh, uh, living on the streets. So they need time to get into a social program. The problem with the Popper's Affidavit is they will have to prove that they are, in fact, will be homeless, which they have effectively no income and no job. It's very, very rare that someone would file that. I've never been in one that they won because typically they always do have that job, whether it's a jack-in-the-box or the tire shop or whatever. And the simple act of having the job typically makes you not allowable un under that. Now, some other things you need to know about evictions. Here are some interesting things. One, you can file the eviction from nearly anywhere in most courts, which means you don't have to go down to the court and do it in person, as some park owners think. But instead, you simply fill out the document from afar, mail it in with the appropriate check, and the eviction has been filed. That's very reassuring to people who think, well, gosh, how do I file an eviction from 1,000 miles away? It's easy. It's called a postage stamp, so that's not very hard. Another trick, there are attorneys out there who do just evictions. They typically charge anywhere from $50 to $300 per case. How do you find them? Call local apartment complexes and find out who they use. These are attorneys, just like those traffic ticket attorneys who just do traffic tickets. These guys only do evictions, and they're a fraction of the price of a traditional lawyer. If you send a regular lawyer out to do it, it might cost you two dollars or $3,000. The evictions attorney might cost you $100 or $200. Final item, judges typically always rule with the landlord. There are a few states where this is perhaps not true, California most notably, but in most states in America, if you don't pay the rent, the court system has not much sympathy for the fact that you're going to get evicted. If you are losing evictions, the problem is something with you, not with the court system. So I had a case once where I was losing eviction over eviction in a certain mobile home park court. I thought perhaps the judge was against me. So one day I showed up at the court unannounced. They, when they read off the evictions, the manager stood up and said, I want to dismiss that case, Your Honor. Next case, I want to dismiss that case. Basically, they dismissed every single case. I then confronted the manager as to what was going on, and they admitted that, in fact, they'd been dismissing all the cases when they were called in court because they were felt physically threatened by the residents and, as a result, thought they would be beaten up if they didn't dismiss the case. So, at any rate, evictions, something that is not worth getting afraid of, you can learn the process very simply. Most of the cards are stacked in your favor. Most of the courts are fairly easy to work with. Use an evictions lawyer. Use your head. Try never to evict anyone if you can help it and never have any moral outrage 
or any insensitivity against the customer. Again, it's affordable housing and things happen. This is Frank Croft, the Mobile Home Park Mastery Podcast, and we'll be back again soon with a little bit on contract law. Thank you for listening to the Mobile Home Park Mastery Podcast. Be sure to visit us at mhpmastery.com to subscribe to the show, read our show transcriptions, and access all of our great information on mobile home park investing.